Darn, it's not that good. <laughs> well, nobody ranked as cool as my fifth and sixth grade teacher, Mr. Rice. Fresh out of prison, he walked into the classroom. He had a testimony that would make every kid sweat with envy. He always started his story in the same way. I'm not proud of this, he'd say. But I used to run with the meanest gangs in Phoenix, Arizona. And then he would get into the details of the story. He'd always come to that point where he fell on the cement slab in the prison and promised God, if you just get me out of here, I promise I'll give the rest of my life and dedicate my life to helping young teenagers like myself who have gone astray. And through a miraculous set of circumstances, he got out of jail and true to his promise to God, he ended up in a classroom helping kids. It was the Thursday nights that really got me. That's when we had a ministry to homeless kids in the New England area there. And they'd all come to the gymnasium and Mr. Rice would lead out in recreation and sports. Sometimes he'd take on everybody who would come, 50, 60 kids. He was a black belt in karate. And he would defeat all of us, an amazing, super, larger-than-life superhero. But then he'd sit us all down on the mats and bring out his guitar. We'd sing a few songs. He'd set up the guitar and then he'd start in on his testimony. I'm not proud of this, but I used to run with the meanest gangs in Phoenix, Arizona. And then he would share the story. And even as a pretty young kid, I noticed just how mesmerized all of the other kids were listening to his every word. And that's what got me. Because, see, I didn't really have a testimony. And not a real testimony. Not a man's testimony. I mean, my testimony was so wimpy. You know, at the tender age of six, I stole a grape at Andy's Market. And God helped me overcome the terrible sin of kicking my sister. What kind of a wussy testimony was that? I wanted a real testimony. And that's when I conceived the idea. I know. I'll make one up. So I wrote it out, hoping that Mr. Rice would read it to Thursday night. The problem was, my mother found it before I got to turn it in. I wrote it out all right and hid it between the mattresses in my bed. It went something like this. I'm not proud of this, I scribbled in my ten-year-old handwriting. But last summer I blew $50,000 that I made dealing drugs. I figured that was a good opener. I guess I got into the wrong crowd. It all started with a bottle of glue. My girlfriend and I were having problems communicating. My parents were hassling me about my long hair. And my pet gerbil died. What was there to live for? One thing led to another until I hooked up with mobster Antonio da Vinciano and found myself head deep in the underworld of drugs, sex, money, Harley Davidson's. 
And then I saw this funny-looking man behind the goalpost at a football game on TV advertising John 3.16, and I vaguely remembered the text from my childhood. But when I looked it up again, it hit me. God so loved Carl Hafner that he sent his son to die for my sins. I asked forgiveness right then and committed my life to teaching kids like me who had gone astray. Like I say, it was ready to go public until my mother found it and cornered me and sat me down on the edge of the bed. I still remember the conversation well. She demanded, what is this? Well, that's, that's my testimony. Is it your testimony? Well, yeah. Your true testimony? I did a good job hiding it from you, didn't I, Mom? She shook her head and sighed and said, Oh, Carl, I said it is true. Well, at least the part about my gerbil dying, that really was true. Um, she shook her head and said, Carl, your testimony is never about what you have done. It's always about what Christ has done. And whether it's stealing grapes or kicking your sister or doing drugs in Phoenix, it doesn't matter. We all are condemned to die. But for the grace of Christ and for His sacrifice on the cross, that's the heart of every testimony. It was my first true collision that I can remember with this concept of grace. And tonight, as we lift Him up and think more about Jesus, I want to try to get after this idea of grace by contrasting it with two other words. Somebody asked me tonight at supper, are you going to give us three more words tonight? And I answered no, and then I thought about it and said, no, actually, I am. We're going to look at grace and try to understand it a little better by contrasting it with two ideas that I think most of us are quite familiar with. Justice and mercy. Okay? Imagine tomorrow morning, you walk out to pick up your mail. You look up the street and you see a scene that spells trouble. Teenage kid up the street, one of your neighbors, is sitting low in his dad's very expensive sports car. He is cruising at an alarmingly high rate of speed. You know this kid's too young to have a driver's license. You've also heard the rumors circulating in the neighborhood about the impending divorce. You know it's a troubled home and so on. And it just doesn't look good. And sure enough, He's swerving out of control, and just before he gets to your house, he swerves out of control, takes out your mailbox, runs through your bushes, and goes over the fence that you spent all last summer building. Kid sheepishly gets out of the car, brushes himself off. He's okay, shaken up a little bit. At that juncture, you have a choice. How are you going to treat this kid? Some of you would treat him with justice. Justice simply means that you treat him exactly as he deserves. Wouldn't make you a mean or a nasty, bad person. It just means that our choices carry with them consequences. And you will enact these consequences for his bad choices. Justice. He gets what he deserves. So you might say something to the kid like, hey, you really messed up. Well, listen, 
I'm just going to uh, report this to the police. You probably now won't be able to get your driver's license until a little later in life. But hey, it's one of the consequences of a bad choice. I'm going to report this to your parents and you are going to fix my fence and my mailbox and replant the bushes. If you treated the kid with justice, he should expect that because that's exactly what he deserves. Others may treat him with mercy. Our working definition of mercy tonight is simply being treated better than you deserve. So, if you treat him with mercy, you might say something like this. Oh, hey, you really messed up here, but listen. I don't want to get you crosswise with the law. I don't want you to have a record. I'm not going to mention any of this to your parents, but you are going to help me rebuild the fence and replant the bushes and fix the mailbox. If you treated the kid with mercy, you ought to be very grateful because you treated him better than he deserves. There might be somebody here, I kind of doubt it, but there might be somebody here that would choose to treat the kid with grace. Grace is scandalous. It's reckless. It is radical. Almost beyond our ability to comprehend. Grace is the kind of thing that causes people to shake their heads and say, no way. Are you kidding me? Ellen White makes a statement about how throughout eternity we will try to wrap our minds around the cross and the concept of grace and we'll never fully understand God's grace. So grace is way out there. So for purposes of this illustration... Perhaps you would choose to treat the kid with grace. And it might look something like this. Heh, you really messed up. Tell you what, I'm not going to report this to the police or to your parents. And don't you worry about the bushes or the fence or the mailbox. I'll fix all of that on my nickel. But grace would take it a step further still. And say something like, listen, I would be really interested in hearing your story. Maybe I could take you out to that new expensive restaurant in town. Could I do that? Kid can't believe his good fortune. Absolutely. I, I would love that. And as he starts getting into your car, you look at him incredulously and say, what are you doing? And then tossing him your keys, you say, you drive. Now, some of you are saying, that's not very smart. You give that kid a free joyride today, tomorrow he's going to wipe out your neighbor's mailbox. And you know what? You're absolutely right. Therein is the scandal of grace. It is risky and reckless. But what could also happen? You might just touch that kid at the deepest part. Of his soul. You treat the kid with grace. Maybe. That night. He would find himself in bed. Staring at the ceiling. Thinking to himself. Man. I was treated. Way better. Than I ever deserved. And you might. Change that kid. Forever. Therein is the potential. Power. 
of grace, but it's risky. Scripture describes our God as a God of justice. Aren't you thankful? A God who says the wages of sin is what? Death. Doesn't make God a mean or a nasty God at all. That's the way he set up his moral economy, as we talked about last night. And deep within every human spirit is this longing for justice. That sin will not go unpunished. That ultimately God is a God of justice and he will set things right. And I'm very thankful That God is a God of justice and that the wages of sin is death. We want that, at least for the sins of others. Our own sins never quite seem that bad. But according to Scripture, every time you mess up, every time you sin, because God is a God of justice, you deserve to die. That's just the way God said it's going to be. The wages of sin is death. And we want justice. In Salem, Massachusetts, there's an eight-year-old girl trying desperately to piece her shattered life back together again. I said an eight-year-old girl. The trauma dates back to an evening she spent at a friend's house. Early in the pre-dawn hours... Her friend's father entered the room where she was sleeping. He proceeded to sexually molest her. If that wasn't bad enough, a couple hours later, he returned for round two. Fortunately, this girl had the presence of mind to report to her parents what had happened. Unfortunately, when the case came to court, this perpetrator's attorney articulately argued that his his client did not fit the profile of a chronic sex offender but rather he suffered from a disorder called an impulse control disorder. That's all it really was. And even though the man readily admitted to his crime, he walked scot-free, no punishment, because after all, it was just an impulse control disorder. That's all. Meanwhile, this poor child has to figure out what appropriate sexual feelings are all about. She has to figure out how she's going to relate to grown men and how to get through the next night without the recurring nightmare, knowing the man who violated her walked free of any punishment. Let me ask you, how does that true story settle in your gut? Does it just make you angry? sort of hit you in a visceral way? I think most of us have that reaction, don't we? Because we do not want sin and wrongdoing to go unrequited. The perpetrator should be punished for his crime. Wouldn't you agree? I was thinking about this this morning when the Biggers presented their story. And I'll tell you, If you missed it this morning, don't you dare miss tomorrow morning, 930, right here. Just an incredible story. But I found myself just falling to pieces, listening to them share 
this tragic story of their daughter's death. And I imagined myself seeing the killer in the courtroom as they mentioned they saw him in the courtroom. I was thinking it would be all I could do not to just stand up and scream at that man. I don't know exactly what I'd say, but my hunch is it would be something like if I had a gun, I'd pull the trigger right now. Because I have a couple of daughters who have been shaped by that wonderful community there in Walla Walla. And I could just imagine if something like that happened to my daughter, I'm not so sure I could ever work through a tragedy like that. And that's that deep sense of justice. It's just not fair. Praise God. He is a God of justice. And He will not just let sin go unpunished. Ultimately, the wages of sin is death. But Scripture goes on to describe God as a God of mercy, which means we're treated better than we deserve. Psalm 103.10 says, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. In other words, there is not a one-to-one correlation between my sin and my punishment. Because every time I sin, today when I had that lustful thought, I wasn't zapped dead. Why? Because there is not a one-to-one correlation between my sin and my punishment. God does not repay us, Scriptures tell us, according to what our iniquities deserve. God is a God of justice. He treats us better than we deserve. Back when I was a kid, my dad had this spiritual gift of losing his wallet. He was really good at it. And he passed that gift along to me because I'm quite gifted in that area as well. Well, when dad would get super desperate, he would offer a reward to us four kids. He'd say, whoever finds my wallet, I'll pay him five dollars, which was a lot of money back then. Well, my little entrepreneurial mind started working. I figured out a way to score some quick cash. So I hid my dad's wallet in the bottom of the toy chest in the front closet. A couple days later, dad was ranting and raving around the living room. Finally, he got to the point where he was so desperate. He said, kids, help me find my wallet. I'll pay you five dollars. I wasn't a real bright kid because immediately I raced to the front closet, dug down to the bottom of the toy chest, triumphantly held up his wallet and said, Oh, there it is, Dad. He paid me my $5. I went and spent it a few days later. He called me into his office. This was never a good thing. I was squirming back and forth in my chair. My dad started interrogating me. Carl, how'd you know my wallet was in the bottom of the toy chest? I don't remember putting it there. Just a hunch, Dad. I don't know. I just kind of had a sense. He kept questioning until finally I broke. I knew I had no other choice. And I admitted to my crime and... Dad said, well, 
you're going to have to pay back the five dollars. I was hoping that you would come and confess on your own, but you are going to have to pay back the reward money. That's not fair, I screamed. I've already spent the money. I can't pay it back now. Well, that was the wrong thing to say to a preacher. My dad immediately gave me a sermon. He said, time out. Fair? You don't think this is fair? Do you want me to treat you fairly? If you want me to treat you fairly like you deserve, then not only are you going to repay the reward money, but you're going to pay me extra for the long-distance phone call that I made thinking that I had left it at one of our churches in the district. Plus, you're going to pay me mileage for driving across town to where I looked and thought that I had left it at the gas station there. And you're going to pay it all back with interest. Now, that's fair. I'm treating you better than you deserve. I'm treating you with mercy. Now, you tell me, do you want me to treat you with fairness or with mercy? Fine, I huffed. With mercy, I hissed and ran off to my room. Forty years later, I can still remember my thoughts as I was staring at the ceiling on my bed. I still remember thinking, Dad treated me better than I deserve. He's right. If I got what I deserved, I'd have to pay back more than just the reward money. Even little kids have a sense of justness and even mercy. But God is also described in the Bible as a God of grace, which means he treats us way better than we deserve. To where it will take all of eternity and we still won't understand his grace. You remember the story of the prodigal son. The kid demands of his father, I want my inheritance and I want it now. He runs off to the big city and squanders all of the money, but then he runs out and the party is over. He finds himself feeding the pigs when he comes to to his senses. And because he has some sort of a generic understanding of the father, he dares to imagine that maybe his dad would treat him with mercy. He doesn't think about his father treating him with mercy. Grace, that doesn't even cross his mind. But he does imagine maybe dad will treat me better than I deserve. If I just go back and grovel a little bit and say, just bring me on as one of your hired hands. At least your servants around here are living better than the squalor I was living in in the big city. Just bring me on as a servant. I'll be happy with that. Treat me better than I deserve. And you know the story. He starts in on the speech, but the father will hear nothing of it. The dad instead treats him with grace. Son, my son, you are back. 
and he throws the family ring on his finger and the family robe about his shoulders and kills the fatted calf and invites everybody in the village because the son who was lost is home again. And the kid is reinstated into the family as if he had never left. What a compelling picture of grace. Way better than he deserved. Been a long, hard day of ministry. I was driving home about one o'clock in the morning, still had an hour until I got home. I was drifting off asleep, trying to get home as quickly as I could, when I glanced into the rearview mirror and suddenly there was a jolt of adrenaline that woke me right up. Funny how flashing police lights can do that, huh? So I pulled over to the side of the road and I looked in the rearview mirror. But as the officer approached my window, I knew I had a problem because I couldn't tell if this was a man or a woman. She walked like a man. He looked like a woman. I just wasn't sure how to address this person. And just before I said anything, I caught the badge, Barb Quali. I knew what to say. Good evening, ma'am. She just scowled. She had a face so sour she could suck buttons off a sofa. Said, I've been waiting for you all night. Said, I've been hurrying to get here to meet you. (laughs) Do you have any idea how fast you were going? Said, I have no idea, but I'll bet you have a really good idea. She was doing 85 and a 55. That's reckless driving. I could handcuff you and take you to jail. Moreover, you were swerving all over the highway. Have you been drinking? I said, um, I, I said, no. All of you are looking at me like, what did he say? <laughs> I'm an Adventist pastor. You know I don't drink. I said, no. In fact, I said, I'm a pastor and I've just been working all day. I'm like you, trying to keep the bad guys off the street. We're like teammates here. And, uh, I said, I don't drink. I'm an Adventist. And, She said, well, being tired and speeding, that's an equation for accidents. I said, I know, I I know. Then her face softened a little bit and she said, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to write you up for reckless driving or for swerving. I'll only write you up for doing 65 and a 55 and that won't impact your insurance rates as much and so on. She went back to her vehicle to write me up. I turned to my wife, Cherie, and said, she treated me with mercy. And I was really grateful, better than I deserved. Then she came back, shaking her head. She said, I I don't know why I'm doing this, Mr. Uh, Hafner, but I decided not to write you up for anything at all. I have never felt such an overwhelming urge to kiss a woman that looked like a man. Uh, And I I told her, too. I said, oh, ma'am, I could kiss you. And she said, you have the right to remain silent. Uh, I'd prefer you just drive the speed limit. And you know what? It's exactly 
what I did, peeling back onto the interstate, singing the doxology. I kept that needle pegged at 55 all the way home. Even though I suppose I could have said, well, I got away with it that time. I'm going to go 85 the rest of the way home. You can do that. But you can also change the behavior of a person through the power of grace. And so God treats all of us with grace. The wages of sin is death, but but the gift of God is eternal life. Way better than any one of us deserves. The gift of God. Eternal life. Now we love to think about God's grace and how recklessly He treats us far beyond what we deserve. But the real challenge becomes when we try to live as people of grace. We try to model the same kind of grace toward one another. I can tell you, this is not an easy thing to do. Easy to talk about but to actually extend grace, to be instruments of God's grace flowing through our lives, treating people far better than they deserve. I'm telling you right now, this doesn't come naturally. It never comes easily. It is reckless and it grates against every compulsion in the human spirit. There's just a sort of trivial example of this. Some years ago, I went to the old spaghetti factory to pick up some gift certificates and the hostess there in the lobby talked me into getting something to eat for lunch, even though I hadn't come there to eat lunch. I said, I'm kind of in a hurry. We'll be quick. I'll get the waiter right to your table. But the waiter, waitress never came. Finally, after about 15 minutes of tapping my foot, I flagged down the manager of the restaurant and said, I was promised quick service and nobody's even come by. Finally, a waitress came hurrying to my table, took my order, but it took forever, it seemed, to get the food to me. By now, I was really frustrated. Then, to make matters worse, I found a hair in my salad. I don't like hair in my salad. And so I complained to the manager walking by again. You said it was going to be quick. I got a hair in my salad. They didn't even offer me a new salad. The lady just reached down and picked the hair out of the salad. I didn't see her put it back in her head, but or my head, maybe. But uh, I was disgusted. Then I figured, after complaining twice to the manager that when I received the bill, it would at best be free or at least be discounted. No discount. Full price. Including the salad. (laughs) Now, there was still one small way that I could express my displeasure with the restaurant. Little line near the bottom of the invoice that simply says, tip. And I started to scroll through in my mind, what would this look like if I were to treat this waitress with justice? 
I would give her a zero tip because that's exactly what she deserved, right? No argument about that. She didn't deserve a tip at all. But then I started thinking, what would mercy look like right now, right here? 15, 20% tip, much better than she deserved. But then this nagging voice, treat the waitress with grace. Not because she deserves it, just so you feel that angst in your gut, just so you get a small, small sense of what grace feels like. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come easily. I just started thinking about what would grace look like? Just do it. Just do it so you get that dissonance stirring in your stomach. So I did. I decided I'm going to give her a tip way better than she deserved. So right there on the check, I wrote 1.6 million. No, I'm not. I'm not that gracious. I gave her a 100% tip, which still wasn't all that much. But a 100% tip, way better than she deserved. Now, again, it's not because I'm naturally a gracious Person, Not at all. In fact, a couple of days later, I was still grumbling around the house and Sheree said, enough already. Would you be quiet? Because I was saying, things, I can't believe I get her 100% tip way better than she deserved. Not a done. She said, the only reason you did that was to get a sermon illustration. Uh, <laughs> which is absolutely true, but... <laughs> Totally none of my wife's business. Uh, that's between me and God. Um, and again, it's just a, a, a small, trivial thing. But it did give me a little glimpse at just how hard it is to pull this off. Grace is reckless. It's radical. It's the kind of thing that makes people turn their heads and say, no way, no way. And that's the way God treats every one of us. And Father in heaven tonight, we are so thankful. Undeserving though we are, we're just so thankful, O oh God, that you came to a cross And in Calvary, we see the ultimate picture of your undying grace for each one of us. Now, God, I pray that as we leave this meeting this evening and throughout this week, that moment by moment, you would just open our hearts and reveal to us all of the opportunities around us each day to be instruments of your grace. Just nudge us in that direction and whisper in our hearts, now, extend my grace, not so we can talk about it, but so that we can begin to comprehend and understand your grace for us. Make us a grace-filled people and a grace-filled church. 
It's my prayer in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said together.